To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Davis Podcast, episode 96. We're back in the building, man, on our new day and time, Thursdays, mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Coach Defense. I'd like to welcome y'all back to another spirited episode of the Lockdown Davis Podcast, the, lock, the flagship of the network. I want to thank everybody that's been out there supporting us, man. It has been another, another epic week, another epic week for the channel, uh, Sports Talk with Coach Curtis has broken all kind of records this past week, and we had another spirited episode with our special guest, Coach Mike Dub. Uh, very, very organic and very real and uh, positive episode that we shot on Tuesday Live. So uh, check that out if you have it on the channel. That, chat, that, that particular episode of 75 broke a lot of records, and I expect the next one to do the same. That show, if you think 75 was good, 76 is even better, in my opinion. So check that out if you haven't. As always, the Wild Wild West Podcast on Wednesday Evening 7.30 on my channel as well. And always the Lockdown News Podcast is here for you on Thursday mornings, man. Giving you the real rap, raw, unfiltered support of the sports world. So, listen. We got a nice jam-packed episode here for you today, man. A lot of things to talk about. I've got a couple of topics to talk about in the NBA. One of the breakdowns is spider mental trade. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> the Cleveland Cavaliers came in like a thief in the night and stole uh, Donovan Mitchell from the Knicks. And he's now a calf. We'll get into that. And we'll do our ongoing coverage of our divisional breakdowns of the preseason. Uh, we're going to do the the division that I, I, I sometimes call the lonely division in the Southeast division of the Eastern Conference. We're going to talk about the Magic, the Wizards, the Hornets, the Hawks, and the Heat. We're going to get into that in our NBA segment. And we're going to move over to the NFL. Tonight is the night, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to tell you. Football is back for sure. We are right in locked and loaded. The Bills and the Rams are going to kick it off tonight. And uh, kick it off in big fashion. The Bills got a lot of expectations on their on their plate, and they got to go in in week one and, and face the champs. So it should be an epic battle, man. So we're gonna talk about a lot of NFL news today. We're gonna get into our reactions about the fifty three man rosters and and cut downs and surprise takeaways that we had that uh, happened in, in the final cut down day. We're gonna talk about the Forty ers and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, their uh, interaction and their uh, their supposed relationship. We'll talk about the Browns and the Steelers uh, and a lot of mistakes we feel like they're making um, in personnel decisions and the moves that they're making in their in their season. Uh, then I got a, a quick segment we'll talk about about preseason and uh, the injury concern that I have for the preseason in short order. So some things going on with the preseason that I think the NFL could tweak and make things just a tad bit better for the league and, uh, and ultimately will uh, make for better product come uh, real playing time. And then we'll wrap it up with our biggest headlines for the NFC West and AFC West, the last two divisions in our, in our ongoing coverage of that, uh, that segment. So we'll give our biggest headlines for the NFC West and the AFC West. So we're going to get into that and we're going give to our, give our breakdowns of those two conferences, those two divisions. And we'll get into that. We'll break it down real hot and heavy. And then we'll wrap it up with a full quarter closeout. We'll, we'll give our another award for Big Dumb in the week until we get into the season. This should be the last week. Uh, without without awards, lockdown defenders of the week and, and, and breakout players of the week will be back next week because we have football back on TV. So we're going to get into that hot and heavy, man. So uh, stay tuned, lock in, and, and, and uh, rock with us for the whole entire show. Uh, so let's get into who's the news, man. Let's do it. And here we go. So let's talk who's in the news. And if you've been rocking with me for a good while, you know this is our NBA segment, NBA headlines, rumors, and uh, just overall NBA uh, talk for this particular segment. We got two segments we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about the spider Mitchell trade. And uh, most people would think that if you haven't heard already that, oh my God, did he finally get traded to the Knicks? And he uh, ultimately got the Jazz, ultimately got the Knicks to give up the farm to get him. No. <laughs> 
no, 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 that didn't happen. And uh, we're going to tell you why that didn't happen in a short minute. And then we're going to get into our NBA divisional preseason breakdown as well. Talk about the Southeast Division this week in the Eastern Conference. And uh, we're going to break down each team in that division, what they did in free agency, the draft, and uh, what the outlook for the season is going to look like going forward from our uh, perspective and our purview. So we're going to get into that. So let's start off with, let's start off with the Spider Mitchell trade. Now, I'm here to tell you that, I, you know, as uh, much as I can uh, kind of foresee things and, and kind of predict things, you know, as a as a sports analyst, it's it's really, really uh, breathtaking to say, that, you know, when you had things happen out of clear blue sky, out of the clear nowhere. I mean, out of the, it just comes out of the ether and nobody sees it coming. For, uh, for somebody of the lure of Kobe Altman, and if you don't know who Kobe Altman is, he's the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, for him to already be credited with the idea of, of putting together the big three, that of Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, uh, he was already credited with doing that and doing uh, uh, big things and turning this franchise around um, and in a youth movement uh, to kind of, uh, I guess you can say, a youth movement uh, attitude, in a sense, you know that that's what they're they're trying to revitalize this franchise uh, through the draft and through young guys. So, um, I guess they felt like you know although they had a lot of success last year, they they needed a spark, and uh, and I guess you know watching the wave wire and watching the transactions and and tweets and information get passed and see how the New York and Utah talks have kind of they were up and down and they kind of were simmering, fizzling out and things of that nature. Because quite honestly, Utah wanted to fleece New York. And I, don't, I still don't know why for sure. I, I can't pinpoint exactly what the reason is, but it's something personal. Because they wanted a lot from New York. And I was on record of saying this, if you listen to my podcast, that, that New York shouldn't do it. They shouldn't honestly and truly get in bed with Utah at that price tag. Because it really would set them back, in my opinion. Um, and, and I'm not sure it will move the needle enough for them uh, to be uh, serious competitors with Donovan Mitchell and having to give up what they needed to give up to get him. Um, so the idea what Utah wanted from the Knicks seemed like they really wanted to fleece them and rake them over the coals, which, again, it was some type of personal beef going on between Ainge and the front office of the Knicks. I don't know. I don't know if if, if the New York Knicks front office is, is the uh, bad news bears of, of, the, of the ownership group. I don't know. But it just seemed like they wanted a lot more for uh, Donovan Mitchell services to move him to New York than they would have wanted from Cleveland because Cleveland didn't give up nearly as much. Uh, they gave up three players, one notably of uh, the name of uh, of Colin Sexton, who was a point guard, which I naturally had to go, but Darius Garland being there and Spider Mitchell coming in, both of them, you know, Spider kind of being a combo guard, one, two, that you naturally would have too many point guards or ball handlers in the room if you kept Colin Sexton. So they traded him away, two other players, three unprotected picks and two pick swaps. Uh, I think the Knicks talk started at like five draft picks, like five first rounders and players. So clearly they wanted way more than what Kobe Allman offered. And for some reason they were willing to make the deal quick, fast and hurry within like a 48 hour period with the Cavs. But they literally was dragging out and drawing out the process between the Knicks and the, and the jazz conversation and it still didn't work out. So kudos to Kobe Allman, man. Uh, Cause he's now created a big four. We got Darius Garland, we got Spider Mitchell, we got Evan Mobley and Jared Allen as your perennial uh, all-stars. <laughs> Let's be real. Those are all-star caliber talents in, in those big big four. I mean, it's the first time I've, I think I'm saying this to say a real big four in the league. Uh, 
So they definitely should have moved the needle and put people on notice in the Eastern Conference for sure. Uh, you know, it still remains to be seen what they uh, will look like on the floor together. But I mean, on paper, it looks great. They still got Karius LeVert, you know, who's a great talent as well. Uh, they got Raul Neto, who's a solid player uh, from the Wizards. Robin Lopez came over free agency, and they still got Kevin Love. So, I mean, you rounded out, that's nine players, excuse me, eight players that are formidable and uh, and solid um, top to bottom. And uh, you have a, a plethora of widespread positions in, in this particular uh, arena. You know, we don't have a, a litany of power forwards or a litany of uh, shooting guards. You have a, a, a wide range of uh, different levels of talent. You know, Robin Lopez is a post player. So is Kevin Love, Evan and Jared are post players. Spider, Darius, and Curtis are all front or all guards. So I mean, it looks good on paper. You know what their coach can do with this team is going to be uh, the binoculars are going to really be on them. You know, as far as how well they can uh, ascend, because I, you know, because let's be honest. Now I was speaking their praises last year and talking about how good this team is and they can be if they can just keep away from the injury bug. An injury bug really derailed them from being uh, a, a clear-cut playoff team. They had to be in a playing tournament because injuries. Now, I think that if they stayed healthy without Donovan, they would have been an outright playoff team. But I have to, you have to say that for sure they're going to be an outright playoff team. Now, the only question is where they land. Now, I almost want to call this a bad time. It's, kind of, it's much like the KD trade request. It's just, it's just bad timing because the way the, the East is currently constructed, it's going to be hard-pressed to break through. You know, I'm sure the uh, Cavs organization is looking at this uh, from a long-term play. You know, they're not looking for a one-and-done scenario here. I think they want to be good for a while. But the way that the league is currently constructed, and I don't think it's changing, <laughs> it could get better, but I don't think it's going to get worse, at least right at the top end of this, is that the, it's the top three or four teams for sure are just a tick above for me than this team is. And again, this team is young uh, versus it being uh, a wily veteran team that could – uh, potentially derail some of these uh, proven teams. You got uh, you got a champion at the top in the Bucks. You got a Eastern Conference champion and, and an NBA finalist uh, in the Boston Celtics sitting up there, and they honestly, truly, in my opinion, got better in all season. And they made a couple of savvy moves and added a few few pieces. And and look at them, you know, I think they're going to be just that much better uh, in this year. So they're going to be uh, the cream of the crop, in my opinion. Then you know, if you have the kumbaya moment and bringing back the whole idea of the Nets, you know, resolving their internal issues with KD and Kyrie and those guys. And they come together and try to give a last dance type of vibe and try to go at this particular run of a title one more time. The way the roster is currently constructed, you have to put them up there as well. I mean, come on. I mean, you got a locked in Kyrie and KD along with the roster they constructed with those role players that they have. They, they're formidable. Assuming they all get along, but that's still a question. But they, if, if all things being equal, they are formidable. So they, the Cavs have an uphill climb to face those three teams. And then the wild card to me is the Heat in, in the 76ers. What are they going to be? Now, I will put, I will give the Cavs credit for saying that they could, they could battle with the 76ers in the, in the Heat as they're currently constructed. I will say that. Uh, but as far as those other three teams I just named, uh, it's kind of a rough ask. It's kind of a rough ass. I just think it's it's a good move by the by Cavs, but it's bad timing because yet again, I think they would they're looking at it just from a talent perspective. Uh, I just think they're going to end up finishing no better than third or fourth. I mean, that, and that's that's being optimistic. I mean, third, three, four, or five, it just depends on what the Heat and the 76ers are or aren't coming this season. 
you know, James Harden come back and be more of him, uh, more of himself? Uh, that's the question. Can the Nets co coalesce and coexist? And what did he do? I mean, the Heat are, we're going to talk about them in a minute, but they're running it back with their same squad. So they were the number one seed last year. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they had a few breaks. The Nets fell apart. Boston came on late. The Bucks had injuries. So, you know, it, it's some things that, you know, kind of fell into their lap to make them the number one seed. And I don't really give them credit for being the fact that they earned it. I think they kind of, kind of got lucky. But yet again, you know, they still are a formidable team. Uh, you know, with Jimmy Butler on that team, with Bam and those guys, I think they still will be a tough out. So can the young Cavs – uh, get over those particular hurdles in order to see the the the, the pit bosses that are the bosses of these in the Milwaukee Bucks, in my opinion. So it's rough, but I think this team is definitely built because I feel like they're they're all their biggest stars are twenty five or younger, and if you can manage to keep that team together in some kind of fashion, and maybe add one or two more pieces, just build around it. I think you could this Cavs team can be good for a long time. So. We'll see how things break for them, but I, I like the, what they're doing in Cleveland uh, post-LeBron James era. Um, I did drop a little bombshell on Sports Talk that said that uh, LeBron might try to sneak his way back onto this roster at the at the tail end of his career to try to try to sneak one more in for Cleveland before he goes out to the sunset. But it might be a pipe dream, but strange, stranger things have happened. I'm just here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. So moving on to our preseason divisional breakdown. Like I said, we're doing the Eastern Conference this, this uh, week. And um, – we're doing uh we're doing the Southeast Division this week. Uh that consists of the Orlando Magic, the Washington Wizards, the Charlotte Hornets, the Atlanta Falcons, excuse me, a lot of Hawks, Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Hawks, got football in my brain. And uh we're doing the uh we're doing the Miami Heat as well. So uh let's start with the Magic. The Magic uh we're through rebuilding here. I mean, let's just be real about it. You know, it's they're they're a ways away. They're a ways away. Uh, they finished twenty two and sixty last year. Uh, they didn't make any free agency moves. They had the first overall pick in the draft, and they got Palio Banchero, uh, the first overall pick in the draft, and a very very good player. Uh, he had his little uh, tips with Dejounte Murray over the uh, summer league season, as uh, we if anybody watches social media probably knew. Uh, they had their little abuse back and forth. They squashed it, but uh, they had their little battles. But Paolo has been holding his own in Summer League. Um, people, Most people think that he's going to be uh, a day one starter and uh, he's going to uh, help this franchise, you know, try to get get back to prominence, you know, because they haven't really been uh, a, a noteworthy team since Dwight Howard days. So um, I still think they got a ways to go. They got Jalen Suggs last year. They got, they got Markel Fultz as well. He's coming back from injury. Um, he's been often injured, quite frankly. Um, if he can come, he can complete a full season, healthy season. He can be a contributor. I think he's a good player. He just can't stay healthy. Um, but I think that they're they're trending in the right direction. I think they're doing some good things in Orlando, but I just think they got a ways to go. You know, in a smaller market, you know, things of that nature. It's nice weather down in Orlando, but it's a smaller market. You know, a team that doesn't have a whole lot of notoriety in the past several years, and um. And I just think they got a they got a pretty you know pretty uphill climb when it comes down to uh, them being relevant and being formidable. In all honesty, um, I believe that they can um, you know win some games. You know I don't know if they'll you know be uh, you know above five hundred in this regard. I'm not sure of that, but uh, it all depends on you know how well uh, Palio, Jalen, and, and Markel mesh. In all honesty, and then you know we can build from there, but. They, they need maybe one or two more drafts and a couple of free agency uh, pickups that they can potentially land 
to kind of bring this team back to a competitive state. But um, it'll be fun to watch to watch Jalen and Paolo uh, actually, you know, get their, um, you know, play their respective games and how they play off each other. Um, so we'll see exactly what they what they do. Um, they also got Caleb Houston at with the thirty second overall pick, another a project a developmental player. Um, but uh, I think Paolo be one. He'd be a day one starter. Caleb would be a developmental guy. But we'll see exactly what that uh what that what that brings when it comes down to talent level. Um, so right now I got him finishing fifth in the division. Uh, with their biggest stars being Paolo, Jalen, and Markel. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it'll be it was some it'll be some interesting basketball to watch. But you know, the idea of them winning a, a high clip of games, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet, in all honesty. Uh, so moving on to the Washington Wizards. Um, another team is kind of in limbo. Um, I was very critical of Bradley Beal returning to this team. Um, he has it in his mind and his in his soul that he wants to bring. Uh, uh, I only want to say a championship because that's like, that's 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 a tough ask. That's a tough ask, but I think he wants to bring some relevancy to the franchise, um, make the team a, a playoff team at least. I think that's at least his goal. Um, you know, I don't know if I really read the realism of him saying the championship. I mean, everybody wants to say that. You've been a franchise guy. You typically want to say that we want to bring a, a title to the to the franchise. I mean, you're going to say that, but you know how realistic it is, especially with this roster. It's not realistic at all. Um, but you know, I would, if I was him, I would have tried my best to go somewhere else and, and, and be competitive. If, if he really wanted to, you know, play high level basketball with his, uh, um, you know, get into that plateau of his prime. So, uh, but he decided to go back home and he signed a super max deal with the wizards and he's back. He finished 35 and 47 last year. Um, they, uh, traded for Will Barton and Monte Morris. Which is interesting because I mean I, I feel like I, I just never I just never can get a grip on what the Wizards are doing, what they're driving at. Like I clearly know talking about the Magic in 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 the previous team a segment, I know what the Magic are trying to do. They're trying to build through the draft and they're trying to develop young guys and bring on bring them on slowly in order to be able to take over and hopefully that attracts attention from free agents and maybe they land one or two more. Uh, free agents, you know, and that will uh, ultimately bring the team back. But I just don't know for sure what the Wizards are doing here. I just don't get it. Uh, it it's very confusing. You got Will Barton, you got Monte Morris, and then they, they picked up Taj Gibson and and Deon, and, and Deion Wright uh, in free agency. I mean, what are we doing? Again, I mean, you paired up all these guys. It's just like they just throw guys together and hope it works. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, I just get, have to get somebody to explain to me if it's explainable to what, to what they're driving at. Um, because the way the watch is constructed, I mean, Porzingis, Kuzma, Bill, Barton, Monte Morris, Taj Gibson, Dillon Del- Wright. I mean, then you go out in the draft of the 10th overall pick and get Johnny Davis. Um, with, then they also got Yannick and Nwosi uh, uh, with the 54th overall pick. Clearly, Yannick is a developmental guy. Johnny Davis should be a contributor early, but I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, you just look at the up and down the roster, and you tell me exactly what what they're what they're trying to do here. You know, is that a is that an indictment on the front office, and they just don't know, and it's been haven't been is haven't known what how to construct a team for years, and they just refuse to accept it, or is it you know just bad luck in 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 attracting talent? Is it bad luck in a draft? I mean, what I don't know. It's a lot of it's a lot of what ifs and and I don't knows when it comes down to this team. I just I just don't know, and 
I don't know. <laughs> I just don't get it. I, where where are we going? And what are we trying to build around? I mean, you would think that you would take Bradley Bill. He'd be he'd be he, once you sign a supermax with him. But okay, that's our jumping off point. So what can we do? And how can we get better around Bradley? That should be the goal, right? If you have a if you have a, a supermax player, you have an all star player on your team. He's your leader. What is it going to take to build around him in order for us to be completely and utterly relevant um, in short order? Like, what's, what is it going to take? And I, you know, they I just they just don't know. They just don't know. I mean, don't I don't I don't I don't know, and I don't think they do either. So mixing all these guys together, I just don't know what you get. I really don't. And and this is going to ultimately lead to them being under five hundred again, in my opinion. Um, I, I got to finish the fourth division, but I would. Honestly, truly, depending on how quickly Paolo and Jalen get it together, who knows? I really don't know if they can uh, supplant. The, I don't know if the Wizards can beat the Magic out for fourth or not. I don't know, but it's between those two, fourth and fifth. I just it just depends on who gels more and who can and develop better chemistry along, you know, together uh, as a roster earlier. You know, it would determine honestly who finishes fourth and fifth. But you know, I do believe they're both gonna be under five hundred. But I like, I like the Magic's chances better than I like the Wizards because I just don't know what they're doing. I really don't. I can't tell you what what the, what the rhyme of reason is around this roster. I just don't. It's just a bunch of pieces that don't fit, a bunch of round pegs and square holes. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. So we'll see. I mean, I don't want. I hate to bash the home team, but it's 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 very puzzling and head scratching to me what they're doing in that organization. I just don't get it. So we'll see. Um, but I feel for Bradley Bill and Kyle Kuzma. I, I like those guys. And I just hope that, you know, they can figure out a way to win games. How? I don't know. <laughs> How? I don't know. Moving on to the Charlotte Hornets. Now, I just scratched my head at the Charlotte Hornets as well. You know, they're not, they not you know, well known for being, you know, super aggressive in free agency and all that good stuff in the draft and all these type of things, you know, outside of getting them out of ball recently. Um, but you know, they finished 43 and 39 last year, which is very respectable. Um, they didn't make any moves in free agency. Um, and they also lost bridges to the law. You know, let's be honest about it. He got in trouble with the law when he's uh, looking to get a Supermax deal from somebody, either the Hornets or somebody else. And he no longer is is a, is a viable option at all. So they lose out on him. Uh, you know, why? You know, I don't know. I guess they kind of dodged a bullet in this sense because they had they paid him. Uh, and then he got you know arrested and got legal trouble. Who knows? Still might not have been available either. So they might have dodged a bullet with that, but they don't have him anymore. Um, they didn't pick up any free agents, and they got two draft picks: Mark Williams with the fifteenth overall pick, and Bryce McGovern with the fortieth. To me, both are both developmental players, and they are not going to be day one contributors. Um, so you you just basically had you running it back with the same squad um, with Melo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward being your top three guys. Right. So I, I don't know. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I just don't think this team is going to take any further steps. Um, I like to see LaMelo Ball develop a little bit more. Uh, Terry Rozier is who he is. Who we, who he, he is who he is at this point. So is Gordon Hayward. We know who they are. We're not, this not going to change very much. Um, LaMelo is the only person that's, you know, can, is, can develop into a more prominent player, in my opinion, based upon his skill set. But. Again, I just run it back to where it's status quo. You know, the whole waffling with the coach thing was kind of weird too. So, you know, can that coach, you know, I don't know, maybe the coach can get a little more out of this team than uh, than what the previous coach did. But yet again, you still have the same roster. So, I mean, should we expect 
a leaping bound over the next two teams? I don't think. I don't think the Hawks got better, and so did and the Heat. Are just the, the Heat are who they are. They didn't pick up anybody. They're running it back, but their roster was better than yours from from the get get go from day one. So I would say for sure that you know I would uh, expect the Hornets. You know, because the Wizards and the and the Magic are just a step below them. I think they'll still remain in the third position in this division. Um, but I just don't think them going up or down. I, I, they could go down, but I don't see the on how they're coached, but I don't see them going up from any further than what they finished last year. So I kind of having a hovering around third and I think that's, that's their ceiling until they make, they shake this roster up some kind of way or attract some type of good free agent. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much where it lands. So, um, moving on to the Hawks. The Hawks also finished 43 and 39. Um, they had some they had some woes. You know, I, I was expecting Coach Curry and I were both expecting them to take a leap uh this year, and it just didn't happen. I mean, for them to make that uh, I want to call it a Cinderella run, but they made a, a an unprecedented run in the playoffs two years ago to you know basically flaming out and only going 43 and 39 this year. It was kind of kind of a letdown. I mean, we had to be honest. It had to be it was a little bit letdown. So they went out and made a big splash. I mean, I just, I have to say, you know, have to give credit where credit's due. Made a big splash. They went out and got Deontay Murray from the Spurs. They spent a lot to get him. They, they spent a lot to get him. They got, they got him and Mo Harkless in the trade. Uh, also got Justin Holiday. Um, also picked up Frank Kaminsky and Aaron, Aaron Holiday um, in, in free agency. So uh, you're going to pair up Deontay, who's a very good, very good guard with Trey Young, which will allow Trey Young to, you know, play off the ball a bit and be uh, a, a, a bit of a, a damaging shooter um, as Dejounte creates and and uh, and uh, runs the offense in, in spaces. I think they'll kind of they'll kind of play off each other because I think uh, they can do both. I think they can both play all on the ball and off. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, galvanize that talent and utilize those weapons that they have in the backcourt. But uh, for sure, I think they got better with him now. Can they take the? Would it just be a year late in saying that they're going to be the team that we thought they were going to be this past year, and they're going to be uh, just that much better this year? Coming remains to be seen, but you know I'm hoping that this team you know goes takes a, another step in the sins to a higher level. Now, if they if they can if they are or will be who I think they can be, with Clint Capella, John Collins, Trey Young, Jante Murray, just to name a few, um, so got Bogdanovich is you know is one of their wing shooters. If they can fulfill their uh, potential, I think they can give the Hawks the Heat can run for their money. I'm just gonna say it. I think they can. I think they can get the Hawks the, the Hawks can give the Heat a run for their money because you know. And we'll talk about the Heat in a second. But I just the, the idea of them missing out on several guys that they want to get in free agency or trade, um, and them running it back basically with the same status quo team doesn't bode well for them to make any bigger noise. And they could regress. They could regress because people kind of gotten the idea and the notion of who they are at this moment. You know, if you're going to run back with the same exact squad, you kind of got a lot of film on who they are and what they can do and what they can't do. So that could be uh, an Achilles heel in a sense for them and to say that they could ultimately be um, a take, a, take a step back in a sense. Um, like I said, when we talk about the Cavs ascension, uh, they could give them some problems. I think the Hawks could too, based upon how they constructed on paper. So, if they can bring this all together and, and mesh it well, like I think they can, then they, this team should be much better this year than they are last year. They could, you know, send up to maybe like 45, 50 game wins. So in that, again, that would uh, put some pressure on the Heat uh, to uh, maintain their uh, divisional 
supremacy, I guess you can say. So, um, speaking of the Heat, uh, again, last season, um, the 53 and 29, you know, finished number one in the, in the uh, conference. Um, you know, I'm much to, uh, I give it a bit of an asterisk because it would fell in their lap, but they were the number one seat. Um, they didn't make any free agent moves. They would win a, they were in the KD sweepstakes. They didn't land him. They were in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. They didn't land him. So they're running it back with status quo. They got Kyle Lowry still who's you know aging Jimmy Butler, who's getting towards the apex down, downturn of his prime. And they got Bam out of Bayou who, to my shock and my, and my disappointment was very pedestrian in the playoffs this past year. So again, you're running it back with the same exact squad. Uh, they did get uh, Nikola Djokic, uh, uh, not, not Jokic, but Jovic, Jovic, uh, J-O-V-I-C, out of the 27th overall pick. They did get him. Um, so I want to say that, uh, you know, he's going to be a development player. He's not going to contribute right away. And we're running it back with that same roster kind of gives me pause. I don't know. I understand Eric Bolster is a great coach. Jimmy Butler is a good leader. But them running it back with the same exact roster and everybody kind of got the formula which gives them problems could lend to them taking a step back. It could. I'm not saying it will. But, you know, it all just depends on how much pressure the Hawks in particular, the Cavs and the Celtics and the Bucks that are in the other divisions can give uh, the give the Heat in short order. Um, so we'll see how that, how that works. But I think the Heat uh, could stay the same. It could be different. It just depends on who's better this year. But again, they're kind of going to hover around the same team that we've seen for the past three years. They haven't really made a whole lot of changes. So so we'll see how things break. I mean, you know, I could be, like I said, you know, just, just my preseason analysis of what the uh, Miami Heat could or couldn't do going into the season. So we'll see how things work out. But that's going to wrap up our NBA segment, Who's in the News. We're going to take a quick break, run an ad, and then we'll be back with our NFL segment. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Lockdown Defense family, Coach Defense here to announce that the flagship of the Sports Network, the Lockdown Defense Podcast, is now broadcasting each and every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from. Giving you week-to-week real, edgy, raw, and unfiltered content of the NBA and NFL. And if you've been listening to me up to this point, it wouldn't be a show without Chargers and Lakers news. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for sports, look no further than the Lockdown Davis podcast. As a tribute to fans of the show, if you'd like any questions answered on the show, please send me a message on social media between Friday and Tuesday at 10 p.m. to be eligible on the show. On Instagram, I'm Lockdown Davis Sports. On Twitter, I'm Lockdown Defense. So catch me each and every week live on Sports Talk each and every Tuesday, 9 p.m. at Standard Time. That's a new day and time for Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt. Catch me Wednesdays on the Wild Wild West podcast at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, the podcast on Thursdays at 10 a.m. So, like, comment, and subscribe to the channels if you have not already because I'm truly here until I get banned. Now back to the show.
All right, we are back with NFL Headlines. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Man, oh man, it is kickoff Thursday. We are here, man. We are finally here. All uh, preliminaries are done. The main event is here. NFL season for the next however many Sundays it is till February, man. We got football back in the building. College is always rocking and rolling, man. I've seen a couple of college games out there. But it's nothing like the NFL, man. It's nothing like it. So, you know, with your fantasy football dreams on the line, your favorite teams' dreams on the line, man, it's nothing like it. So, we are here, man, and we are here to talk about the NFL. So, as we uh, do our continuing coverage in regards to uh, bringing it a full circle, uh, you know, at, at, while we've been off the air for the podcast, you know, the rosters have cut down to their 53-man rosters. They've got their uh, legit Roster they're going to put out there on Sunday already locked and loaded. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down exactly what we felt like were the uh, most notable uh, or shocking moves that were made in a sense uh, from a roster roster cut down perspective and uh, how we feel um, that particular move is going to affect the team. So uh, starting with Alex Leatherwood, which is uh, we were laughing as Chargers fans. We were laughing at the idea that they cut him uh, in short order uh, from being a first round pick, you know, practically what a year or two ago to being cut uh, from the team in its entirety. Uh, So we were just kind of scratching our head. But uh, what I found out is that uh, it's uh, another man's, one man's trash is another man's treasure because the Bears picked him up off waivers. And and if he didn't, because honestly, truly, I had to learn this, that you know, if you're waived versus released, waived and released are two different things. Released means that I'm completely and utterly releasing you from your contract. So I mean, with, if any guaranteed money is owed to you, I still owe it to you. So that's dead money on my cap. However, if I waive you and you're picked up off waivers prior to you clearing waivers, you will uh, be allowed to be picked up with your current contract intact. And that will uh, allow for you to be able to play under your current contract. So essentially, with the Bears picking up Leatherwood, and they pick up his contract. So the Raiders are off the hook for the dead money that was on his books after being cut. Now, had he clear waivers, then they they would have been on the hook for his guaranteed money. But being that they picked him up uh, with that money and that first round uh, contract and that guaranteed money that he's owed and his fifth-year option is still being intact, they might have got a steal. They just depend on how they can develop him. Uh, they got Tevin Jenkins over there. They got Leatherwood now over there because um, I was deeply concerned about what the uh, roster uh, from all our perspective is going to do and and protecting Justin Fields. But we might be on the, on on to something here. I was concerned. I was like, they are doing him more dirty than Joe, they did Joe Burrow in his first year and not uh, addressing the O-line at all. But uh, it looks like they might be trying to turn the corner. I mean, Leatherwood is a, is a former Alabama uh, lineman, and if you move him into the interior and really focusing on him playing in the interior versus, versus tackle, like the Raiders were trying to do, uh, because he played tackle in 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 uh in college, so I would say, and that's interesting too, because a lot of tackles that play in college end up being interior lineman in the NFL. So if you focus on him working in the interior, and he can be another uh essentially guard along with Jenkins and the other uh three that they have on O line, you might have something. You might have something in which will lend to the idea of Justin Fields not getting killed all season so uh you know it's it's one of those things where you could you could catch a break you could definitely catch a break um if another wood pans out 
you know, him and Tevin Jenkins get over Tevin Jenkins has to get over the over those injury bugs that he's had. And if Leatherwood can and can shape out and shape up and shape out to be a legit interior D alignment, then he would he would definitely be a steal. Definitely be a steal for them. I mean, they might lend to the idea that Raiders might have passed on them too early. Especially with the shambles that they have in O line over there as at, at, at right now at this stands today. <laughs> they could they could do much worse than keeping Leatherwood, in my opinion, but they did it. They moved him. So We'll see what he does with the Bears. So uh, one of my favorite guys, Lisa's favorite, my, one of my favorite names in the league is LaVisca Chenault. Uh, wide receiver for the Jaguars got traded to the Panthers. Uh, didn't see that move happening either. Him uh, being traded from the Panthers. Now, did, we do understand that they went out and got a lot of receivers in the draft. I mean, excuse me, for agency. They did do that. They went out and got Christian Kirk. You know, they got Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, you know, just to name a few. Um you know, all DJ Chark, where they kept Marvin Jones and those guys. So they got his weapons over there. And with ETN and James Robinson both being weapons out of the backfield, potentially, I guess they felt like Leviscus was suspendable. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think the kid's tough, though, man. I think he could be a decent receiver for Baker Mayfield. So it'd be interesting to see if he pans out in, in, in his new stomping grounds, in a sense, um, when it comes down to, you know, him being uh, in. Uh, Carolina versus being in Jacksonville, you know, so it could be a fresh start for him. It could be a fresh start for him. So uh, <laughs> moving on to back into the AFC West, the Josh Gordon was re- re- let go from the uh, newly revamped uh, receiving core from the Chiefs. He didn't he didn't make the roster, which uh, to me could honestly truly signal the end of of his tenure uh, with uh, uh, with uh, the league in a sense because he's had his issues. Uh, we know with his uh, abuse issues and his his demons that he was dealing with, you know, kind of robbed him of his prime, in my opinion. Um, and he just didn't land with uh, with the way that where the Chiefs wanted to do things. Obviously, he's never was really productive. So you have that battle. So would anybody, you know, potentially take a run at him going forward at his age? I don't know. I really feel like this might be it for him, to be honest. Um, you know, to no fault of his own, like he sabotaged himself, like kind of like Antonio Brown did. Um, it just, it just, he just might have it. It might've passed him by. It really might've passed him by those years that he battled those demons. He could have been playing football in his apex of his prime. I think that really hurt him. Um, so the idea of him trying to stick somewhere now at a veteran minimum, at least, um, roster spot in, 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 in contract, it might be too much, too rich for some people's blood, you know, honestly. So we might have seen the last of Josh Gordon in my opinion. So we'll see how that moves. Now, this next few people are, are in the list of, of, of what's wrong in, in my book. Uh, Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack got moved on. He requested a trade out of Indy. Didn't get that. Guy ended up getting released or his contract was up. And then he didn't get paid by them. Went to the Texans and we thought he was going to be the number one back for them. And come to find out, they drafted Damian Pearson. And they never looked back to, to the point where they just flat out released Marlon Mack. So that begs the question for me. Now, I understand Damian Pearson is a good back. Like, he's a steal. Uh, in the he was one of the steals. Might be the steal with him and George Pickens. Might be the steals in the draft. However, if what what's so wrong with Marlon Mack that you decided you just want to move on from him? You know you can't. You know because I mean I'm a, I'm sure that you want to have depth that but that position. I understand that Pierce can be your bell cow, but he may need a blow. He might tweak an ankle or or, or bruise a shoulder. Do something. You need to come out for a few plays. And somebody else needs to go in for him. And Rex Burkhead is to me. I'm sorry, that's not the answer. I would like to believe that Marlon Mack would be the, not, the obvious choice, right? No, you cut him. So 
that ask, ask the question, make me want to ask the question, what's wrong with Marlon Mack? You know, what's wrong with Philip Lindsay, who also got cut from the Colts? Uh, Sony Michelle getting cut from the Dolphins. What's wrong with these guys? Because I even, I mean, I drilled in on Sony Michelle. The Chargers picked him up because somebody's in love with his skill set. Um, but I'm not sure with a heavy and a loaded backfield already with, with three capable backs, you added a fourth. And I'm just like, why? Why wouldn't you add a receiver instead? A kick returner and a, a slot receiver like you could have. So I don't know. What did the Dolphins not see in Sony Michelle? What did the Colts not see in Philip Lindsay? And what did the, the Texans not see in Marlon Mack? I don't get it. I don't get to how what the Texans didn't see in these guys because, I mean, they've been productive in certain spaces. Uh, so I just don't get it. I'm, I'm, you know, so in, this, in the same vein, Danny Shelton got released from the Chiefs. He's bounced around. He's, he's what I thought uh, he would, Vita Vea is. What, what Vita Vea is right now, I thought Danny Shelton would end up being, and he's not. So he's, you know, I don't know if it's an in-shape thing, a weight thing. I don't know what's supposedly wrong with, uh, Danny Shelton, but he can't stick on the roster. Every time he tries out for somebody or play somewhere, he doesn't last long. He, ever since he left the Browns, he hasn't lasted long. He's been bouncing around on two or three different teams, practice squads, active rosters. He just hadn't stuck, you know. And he's a he's a massive man, you know. And pause, but he's a he's a he's a he's he's a he's a, a specimen to move. Let's put it that way. So you would like to believe that him clogging up your middle would be a good thing. Um, at least in a run game, you can, you can always can use, you know, somebody of that skill set, but again, what's wrong with Dennis Shelton? Now, Jaquasi Tart got released from the Eagles as well. We thought he was going to be uh, a rotational safety for them, um, leaving the 49ers going over to the Eagles, but he got released and I'm just like, what's wrong with Jaquasi Tart? He was, he, he was solid for the Niners for a few years, you know? So what's happening to these guys? I don't get it. I don't get it. So I just wonder what's what's the I guess you would say what's the mind, mindset or the uh, ideology behind the idea that you want to cut these guys when they've been successful in the league in the past. So in uh, the most head scratching move of all to me was the idea that the Dallas Cowboys cut all the backup quarterbacks. Like when they started when they broke the fifty three roster, they only had one quarterback on the list. No Dak. <laughs> you know, I mean, you might have practice squad a guy or two, but. Your 53-man roster listed initially as having no backup quarterbacks. Now, was that smart? I mean, let's just let's just look at the optics, right? You were already on a downturn with your O-line before Tyra Smith got hurt. Then Tyra Smith got hurt. And then you, you doubled down on the idea that you were going to not have but one quarterback. So if that goes down, what do you do? What do you do? You know, they didn't make a call for Jimmy Garoppolo or anybody like that. So... What do you do if Dak goes down? I'm not praying that Dak goes down. Trust me. I hope Dak's had enough injury problems already in his young career. I don't want to see any more from him. I don't. But, I mean, it's the NFL and certain freak accidents happen. So, do you really want to plan your future around the idea that you can have one quarterback? It's a rough ask. It's a rough ask. You know, they have they did go out and get Jason Peters and put him on a practice squad. Hopefully, he can come in and get in shape and – make the active roster at some point to fill in for Tyrus Smith, but they got their draft pick that's going to attempt to play left tackle in this place, Tyler Smith. <laughs> so good luck. <laughs> that's why I say the Dallas Cowboys are going to take a step back this year, and it could be a big one, could be a big one. I really feel like it's the Eagles division to lose, in my opinion. So good luck, Dallas. But uh, I think if I'm a Dallas fan, uh, I think they're incapable of this. But if I'm a Dallas fan, I would temper my expectations of them being formidable this year.
despite them having CD and Dak and Zeke and Tony and all that good stuff. Dalton, I, also, I'm, I am hoping for Dalton Schultz to have a good year because I got him in my fantasy league. But outside of that, I'm not. I don't have high hopes. I really don't. I really don't. So those are my takeaways from the roster cuts. Those are my biggest names. I feel like wow, what happened? You know, kind of thing. Nothing. The only bright spot for for the guys that I really had listed here is it could be a new star for Alex Leatherwood potentially inside, and Levisca Chanel having a brand new uh, lease on life that uh to uh, him playing uh, you know have a new start with his career in in Carolina. Could be a match made in heaven. Him him and Breaker have a a good a decent rapport and relationship um down the line so we'll see we'll see how things shake out but moving on <laughs> moving on to the quarterback situation in 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 the a area in san fran so and another shocking move this moves you know we this is the podcast of moves that we didn't see happening you know we were kind of going getting to the point where we were seeing that the likelihood of jimmy g either being traded or cut was going to be the move right uh, he'll be traded somewhere for probably something minimal, right? Um, and it was only, you know, I was thinking that, you know, maybe the Browns or the Giants or hell, maybe the Cowboys could make a move for him, especially the price tag he's at now. Um, well, the Browns was the only person that the price tag he had before he restructured his contract was the Cleveland Cat- Browns could only, what person could afford him. They're the only ones that could afford him. But, you know, but then restructuring the contract, you know, that, that makes it a, a bit of a difference now, but, we had to get there first. So the 49ers decided in a bold move, which is um, honestly, truly, I, I don't agree with it, but they decided to restructure Jimmy's contract. He was worth about $26 million in his last year's deal. None of it was guaranteed per se. Um, but only, it was, they only owed him like $1.5 million in guaranteed money. Like everything was a salary. It wasn't no, no guaranteed money in it. But they could have cut him virtually nothing and let him go find a different team. But they decided to restructure it Bring, bring the cap number down to $6.5 million with a bunch of incentives. Now, he's not going to get all of his $26 million, but these incentives could lead up to a significant amount if he if he hit them all, which, you know, some are lofty and some are only if he starts, but they did restructure the deal. Now, you know, the optics of the contract aside, what bothers me is the optics of him staying in, in San Fran because you have to, at some point, you have to cut the cord. I mean, Trey Lance is going to be your guy. You spent three first round picks, you moved up in the draft to get him. He's going to be your heir apparent guy. He's going to be the guy going forward. He, this is going to be his team. You got to cut the cord. You do. Um, it was initially reported, and I feel like this was a PR move that Jimmy coming back was Trey was happy about it. Like he was, you know, he he was excited about it, and I feel like that was a PR answer. But the digging into the weeds, somebody kind of leaked that information that that Trey was kind of annoyed. Like, why are you bring him back? Like. You don't trust me. And that's how I would feel. Like, you know, if you're if your guy that you're who you're replacing in a job is uh is not if they promised he was leaving the, you know for another job or they was moving him to a different office and you know, inst- instead of them, you know, for, when they had to make the final decision, instead of them relocating him or him finding another job, he stays on for, for less money. And he kind of hovers over your shoulder, you know in a sense where rather than letting you do your job with that you were paid to do or brought in to do, it make you feel some kind of way. So I'm sure Trey feels some kind of way about them having, you know, what they call the ultimate insurance policy in a sense that the Trey is going to be, uh, uh, kind of sort of looking over his shoulder at Jimmy every time uh, he makes a mistake, you know, anytime things aren't going well, he's going to wonder in his mind, are they going to try to bring Jimmy in to write the ship? 
You know, I mean, let's vote, vote well for his confidence, in my opinion. I just really think it's a bad move. I really, I mean, I get that, you know, you want to be uh, formidable regardless. Now, um, what I want to talk about in a minute is something that some other teams probably should have did, in my opinion. But for the 49ers to do it, you know, I mean, it's a safety net. But I'm sorry, when it comes down to the most important position in, in on the team, I don't think you need a safety net. I don't think you can have a safety net. And I think it will irritate most any quarterback that, um, you know, they want to feel comfortable in their job security is, you know, you, this is not something you want to subscribe to. It's just not. You don't want to subscribe to the idea of having two quarterbacks because the, the rule is if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So, so the pressure is on Trey to play well, play well early, because if you don't, you know, the media going to start calling for his job. The fans are going to start calling for his job. And I'm sure people in the front office are going to be like, look, we got a Super Bowl caliber roster. And if Trey can't, it's not ready which it's been reported that he's had accuracy issues and things of that nature, kind of things that they, they need to work through. You know, those are the the sticking points in a sense, you know, you might just have to move on. You know, well, I don't want to say move on, but I'm going to go back to Jimmy G to salvage the season. You know, because you, you don't want to punt on the season because you had the ability to make a deep run. Because to be quite honest with you, NFC is wide open. Like, it really is. Like, if Trey Lance, Trey Lance can be a tick above what Jimmy is, you know, especially with his arm talent, his mobility and things of that nature and kind of run the offense in a sense with kind of similar with Jimmy ran it. They could make some noise. They really could. I mean, cause the Rams are vulnerable. They got O-line issues. They got a couple of, you know, they lost Whitworth and they, they lost another guy to injury. Um, you know, they still start on the defensive side, but they lost Von Miller. So they're not as dominant, you know, so they, they, they can be had and, and who knows how the Super Bowl hangover was going to affect this team. We don't know. Um, the Buccaneers have all kinds of problems and it starts with their quarterback, like him having his off the field issues. I think he's having marital issues and his wife is getting fed up with him playing and she wants him to retire and he keep playing with her emotions. He can play with her emotions and things of that nature. It's a distraction. They got O-line and serial O-line issues as well. Packers aren't who they, who they going to, the Packers aren't who we think they're going to be or haven't been. They are going to be the team that, we, that we've been accustomed to seeing in the past several years with Devontae being gone. So, and the Eagles, to me, are, are, are the class of the, of the East, but yet again, they're not proven and making a deep run. So, it honestly, truly could fall brick right to the, into the 49ers' lap if they play well at quarterback. So, I get it, but I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like the idea that you don't trust Trey Lance enough to make, to la- allow for him to be the only guy in the room that's, that's, that's uh, going to be the, uh, I guess you can say, the captain running the ship. So, We'll see how it shakes out. I mean, you know, it could be a non-starter in story once they get to playing games. And Trey Lance could pan out to be who they thought he was when they drafted him. But the optics of this give me pause. Like, you know, I mean, we can dig into the weeds of Jimmy G's contract, you know, all that good stuff. And maybe he still gets moved. Maybe if somebody takes an injury or somebody, one of these other teams are going to talk about wises up in trades for him kind of thing because they're having issues, you know, at the quarterback position. But regardless... Of all of that, you know, with the, with the way it stands right now, the way it's on paper right now, it just doesn't bode well for Trey. I think there's, it's a slap in Trey's face, in a sense, you know, but keeping that keeping that safety net around, and which ultimately tells me you don't trust me. It really doesn't, you know. So, and you can make a lot of analogies of why that doesn't bode well for his confidence, but that's that's where you landed at when you decided to bring him back. So, will it ultimately derail a season or not? We don't know. <laughs> we just don't know because I mean, going back and forth and waffling. And quarterbacks instead of letting one quarterback take the reins and just let it be what it is it could be problematic 
it could be problematic. So moving on to the Browns and the Steelers. Uh, you know, I started with the Browns. I want to talk about them uh in, in this segment, but the Steelers added to the the story late in 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 the ball game because they of the decision they made at quarterback. So I'm gonna start with the Browns and now finish with the Steelers. So the Browns, um, Again, you know, this is this goes back to the long, rich history, and it's not a rich history you want to have. The long, rich history of them making mistakes, fumbling the bag, tripping over each themselves, making the cardinal sins and mistakes that they always do to make, keep them from achieving. Right. So, you know, we all know at this point, we all know the story of Deshaun Watson. We all know the amount of money he got in contract, despite being in the news and the media for. Uh, allegations of sexual misconduct, right? So, and I want to—I'm not sure if misconduct is the right word, but uh, unwarranted touching and things of that nature. Sex, you know that. However, you want to quantify it, how you want to describe it—that's you know what he was alleged to be accused of, right? We all know this. So, the Browns, you know, kind of one, kind of did, kind of did with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They kind of won the sweepstakes unknowingly, like they just—they just happened to reach out and make a phone call and be like, "Oh, by the way, yeah, I do want to play for the Browns." And oh, okay, well, we'll take you. And then we'll take you. And then now we'll take you. We'll give you a $230 million contract extension that's fully guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While, while, while all that's going on, we, we not only will keep you under your current deal, but then your next deal will arrange in a method of $230 million fully guaranteed. Now, outside of Kirk Cousins, you know, most quarterbacks don't get fully guaranteed deals. Nobody in the league gets fully guaranteed deals in, in, a, in, a, in a long stretch, right? So uh, that uh, if you weren't pissed off already about the idea of uh, of Deshaun Watson still playing football or being on the team um, after the whole allegations uh, scandal was being uh, worked out, you really were pissed off as a as an owner and that he got a fully guaranteed contract for his troubles, which ultimately you know truly shifted and, and changed the market, you know, and and not in a good way for owners, right? So, uh, so you finally get to the resolution of his suspension. Um, once the court case gets settled, all but one is settled um, from his perspective, and um, uh, the league and him, league and his uh, and the NFLPA settled on, uh, uh, I guess you can say, an agreement of him being suspended for eleven games. Right. Um, so he's back week thirteen, which ultimately, truly, week thirteen, you only got. Uh, 13 through 18 to go week of weeks. So you got, I want to say you're going to miss 11 games out of 17. So you got six games that he's actually going to play. And we don't know exactly how good, bad, or indifferent he's going to be. Is he, is he rusty, which it likely will be because he hadn't played football in two years and at the quarterback position and practice, you know, in a large space for most of that. So, you know, how bad is he going to look, you know? So that begs the question. You know, and that goes back to me harkening on the idea that prior to Jimmy G restructuring his contract, they were the only team with the cap space to take on his take on his last year's deal because he's on the last year's deal. This 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 is it. He's on he's he's a free agent after this, so he had the cap space because Deshaun is not making any money from a salary perspective. You know, anticipatory of the suspension, um, you know, they're not making any money, so they had forty four million dollars in cap. So from my perspective, why wouldn't you? Because you have a, again, much like the 49ers, you have a Super Bowl roster ready and willing to take uh, take on the AFC as, as, as a whole, right? 
why wouldn't you make a move for Jimmy G as a rental for this year and and just bring back Deshaun slowly because he's gonna be he's gonna be a long term play. You know, but why wouldn't you because Jacoby Brissett is not it. I mean, let's just be real about it. He's not it. And the idea he's if he's gonna even give you a five hundred record throughout the first eleven games, highly doubtful. Because I, the first four games are winnable, but I got him splitting this even the first four games. They should go four and zero, oh, and it will go four and zero. Oh, Deshaun was playing at a high level, but if with Jacoby playing I, two and two with with me playing mediocre teams, <laughs> so that so that tells me that once he gets to, gets to playing, uh, I guess you can say perennial playoff teams, it's gonna get even worse. So for me, I think that it was a very bad decision on top of the whole, you know, you can argue what, you know, what side of the fence you want to lean on, what, they, uh, what decision they made on Deshaun as far as paying him. But the idea that he's going to be sitting for the 11 games and you're not making a, a aggressive move to bring in another quarterback is telling to me that you basically putting on the season. You know, because let's be honest, Jacoby is a nice guy. He's a great guy off the off the floor, off the field, but he's not a dominant quarterback. And in a tough division, that is the AFC North, which is probably the second best division in AFC for sure. It might be the second best division in football. You are not going to be able to be competitive for sure without a dominant quarterback. And I'm thinking that Jimmy Garoppolo could have gave you what you needed in that space to get you to a, I would say maybe a seven and three, six and four record, and then if Deshaun comes in and plays well, hypothetically, you can still be in a in a in a space of maybe being a playoff team wild card. That that's a way better situation to be in than the situation that you're currently under. Because I'm be honest, they're gonna likely be under five hundred when Deshaun comes back. That's that's my take. I like him to be on the 500. And at, at that point, who cares whether how he plays? It's, it's, it's too much of an uphill battle. Because you would have to, he would have to come back and play like an MVP for the last six games in order for him to even have a shot at being 500 or being in a playoff team. Because let's be honest, the AFC is loaded. So the idea of you being 9 and 8 and thinking you're going to make the playoffs is not, probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. You're definitely not going to be under 500 and make the playoffs. not going to happen. That might happen in the NFC. Damn sure that happened in the AFC. So the idea of them squandering this opportunity is, is unfortunately and sadly in line with the, the mistakes and the misgivings that the Browns have always done and always been. But I was hoping against hope that they will finally wise up and decide that we need to do whatever we can and not punt on the season. But that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And they're going to waste the idea of having the ability to have a loaded roster going forward because Deshaun's money kicks in next year. So you're not going to be able to keep, you know, every single weapon and every single, because let's be honest, the receiving core is not that great to begin with. You don't have any high draft picks because you traded them all for Deshaun's services. And the only person you got is the off-injured Amari Cooper. So you're going to be able to keep Amari hypothetically, and that's going to be pretty much it. You're going to end up losing Kareem Hunt to somebody else. You have one, one, maybe two running backs. The no line is going to start to get expensive and not be able to be affordable. So, again, you should have gone all in at this point because this, this particular opportunity does not come every day. And it could you could have completely and utterly missed your window because – well, again, once things start to get expensive, unless you have draft capital to replace the guys that you lose and hit on those draft picks, 
the idea of you still being competitive is not going to be in the cards. It's just not. So I feel like the Browns really, yet again, for the thousandth time, squandered an opportunity. That's the Browns. So in the same vein, in the same division, the Steelers, which I give a lot of credit for not being what the Browns are. are. They've always been a sound organization. They've always been a sound team in a, a sound environment to play in there, under. I, I, I Trust me, I give a lot of kudos to the Rooney family, Mike Tomlin and those guys. Um, still kind of quirky with the Office of Coordinator decisions, but um, outside of that, I really feel like historically this, this franchise has been really well run, right? But they're not immune to mistakes either. They're not. Now, granted, I'm only looking at it from a, 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 a television and a film perspective that I can view. I'm not a practice every day with the Steelers and things of that nature. But my issue is with the Steelers is that I feel like they're squandering an opportunity as well. And it's not, it's not related to Jimmy G at all. Um, I think it's related to the idea who they picked for their starting quarterback. I really feel like that they should have gone with Kenny Pickett. Um, I really feel like we understand and we know what Mitchell Trubisky is at this point. And if you have your heir apparent in house, you know, your Trey Lance's, Trevor Lawrence's, you know, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, any of those guys, right? Justin Fields. If any of those guys, I really feel like that if you have a, a bridge quarterback in house on top of your incumbent or your future, your, your future franchise quarterback in house, if you're, if, if it's neck and neck in the, in the arms race for the job, you just go with your, you go with your future. That's what you do. Kenny Pickett looked good in the preseason. So the Mitchell looked pretty decent as well. But again, it wasn't a it wasn't a head and shoulders above performance that Trubisky was putting on the on tape that, that Pickett wasn't. So I think that they would have been better off going with Pickett and let him get out there now and take his lumps, build his build his up his confidence, take his growing pains and and figure it out. And just and just gel with the offense that they have because they got weapons. They got went on got George Pickett in the draft. They already had Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, with Frymouth being a stud tight end. Got Najee Harris, you know, and getting back to basic still a football, run the ball, you know, be ball control, ground and pound, and let let Pickett, you know, grow as a thrower as the season progressed. And I think that would have bowled better. For this team with a with a very formidable defense and them winning games and being competitive, then Mitch Trubisky going out there and and God knows what he's going to do from an offensive perspective. Well, I don't know, I don't know. I really think it was a bad move. I really do. Uh, I really think they should have went with Kenny Pickett. And I think that's going to that's going to change the landscape of how they fare in the in the division. I do. I, now I have him at third. Like I had him leaning up to the you know two spot maybe. Now I got him finishing third for sure. Um, you know, and, and the, if the Browns Tomorrow made a move for Jimmy Garoppolo. I would put the Steelers at four. I really would. I really would because that roster is, is completely utterly different with his formidable quarterback. So that yet again that tells me that the Steelers aren't immune to the idea of it being uh, them choosing the wrong quarterback. You know, and I think that's kind of been the, the mantra the last few years. They just they just they're too slow to move on things. Like they were too slow to uh, pivot off of. Off of the coordinators and and then and, and too slow to pivot off Ben. Now they're too slow to gravitate towards a, a, rookie, a rookie quarterback. You know, so I think that's the the one Achilles heel is they just can't seem to do right by the quarterback at the right time. So I think it's going to be, uh, I guess you can say, um, a roadblock in a sense of them being successful. 
Now, will Mike Tomlin still have a running record? It's possible. I think that the Divas plays lights out. I think they're going to stymie a lot of people's uh, uh, willingness to run offense. But yet again, you know, if the offense on your side of the ball, from Pittsburgh's perspective, is not great, and they are constantly punting the ball back to the team, at some point your defense is going to get tired, worn down, get banged up, get hurt, and it's not going to be the same squad. So, you know, you might get by in the earlier parts of the season, but as the season goes on, you get past that eight, nine game mark, start start to fall apart when the defense plays too many minutes. So we'll see. We'll see exactly how this breaks, but I think they should have went with Kenny Pickett, in my opinion. I think that should have been the move. So uh, talking about preseason, um, as we wrap that up, um, preseason's over. They they moved the preseason. They upped, it, they upped the season to one more game a year. So we have 17 games versus 16. And they decreased the preseason by one. Which still, you know, gives people a bad taste in their mouth in the sense that they feel like it's still too long. Um, you know, because I mean, even evaluating my team, the Chargers, I feel like after two games, we kind of knew what, what it was up. I don't think we needed that third game to decide or determine who was going to make the roster, who wasn't, you know. Um, then you got the idea of injuries. Um, you know, people playing certain starters to kind of get them lathered up and get them ready for the season, kind of get them into the mix and, and, you know, kind of give them some game reps to, you know, kind of get them going. So the season starts to be hit the ground running. Right. But that's, a, that's a very risky strategy because you got a lot of teams out here holding out starters completely. And how would they fare? How rusty would they be week one? We don't know, but they will be healthy. Um, so that's the plus, you know, minus in that, but you also have the guys that are playing in the preseason that are getting reps and, you know, kind of being a step ahead of the curve as far as uh, being in game shape. But, they also are falling victim to injury and some people are getting injured for the season and preseason. So um, I'm noticing a trend too, that teams are also having uh, joint practices with other teams in addition to these preseason games. So what they're doing, a lot of teams are doing is playing their starters against their starters in joint practices and they're leaving their starters out of preseason games. They're only playing their reserves. So um, I would say that, uh, because, you know, the idea of you still losing marquee players to injury and big time injuries in the preseason, I would say that it might be more advantageous to lean more towards a model of having joint practices and having one preseason game. You know, I would say have one preseason game to evaluate in a game, live game situations, evaluate your reserves and have more joint practices because um, they're controlled. They don't, you know, you don't have to uh, be a full out contact uh, environment, you know, but you can still get a look. Um, you know, the trenches are still going to be where the trenches are, you know, and people will wear their guarding caps. You won't get concussions and things of that nature. So I think it's just a safer, safer bet. I think it's a safer bet. And I think it's given a lot of teams. I've seen quite a few teams really be able to gel and, 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 and evaluate their starters um, in the joint practices. And then when you get to that one game, you have maybe two games. I say one, maybe two games. You know, it depends on because you have to cut down twice. So I would say maybe two games at the most. Um, you get, and you get to just straight up evaluate your uh, rookies and your uh, reserves trying to make the roster in preseason, actual games, and just do it that way. Um, and I think that will bode well and, and better from an injury perspective, but it, which will allow for teams to be healthier going into the season. Because I think that you get people more excited and get get drummed up more interest when you know for sure that your team is 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 mostly healthy. You know, I, I think that's something that really, really lends to the idea that people will really will can't wait. I mean, because I'm I'm seeing people chopping it a bit when it comes down to the season because most teams are healthy this year. You know, because only because they said they're starters. Teams that played the starters took a lot of injuries. 
So I would say that they should definitely look at the idea of cutting down the preseason even further, maybe one one to maybe two games at the most and having more joint practices. Um, you know, and you know, even there's regulated violence. You know, you can you can control that environment and and have because I, I honestly and truly haven't heard much of anybody from a joint practice perspective go down with a, in, an injury. Most people either have non-contact injuries and but the, but the whole joint practice idea, most people don't go down with serious injuries in that. So I think that's a better option. I think the NFL should look at that. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that they can kind of tweak that idea and let the uh, it, the NFL. You know, lighten the load. Um, the teams lighten their load from a preseason perspective, and you know you don't have to worry about endangering your starters. So, so uh, the last segment we're gonna get into is the biggest headlines. So uh, we're gonna get into the uh, biggest headlines for the NFC West and the AFC West. Now we've done every division up to this point except for the West division. So as we get into football uh, here in short order this evening. We're going to break down each division um, in the NFC, each team in each each team in the NFC West and and AFC West, and give our biggest headlines for that. So very quickly, we're going to give a brief overview of what we've done so far. Um, we've gone through each division, so kind of give a wrap up. And I'm trying to do this for the radio audience because if you're watching on YouTube, you can always see it. And if you've been paying attention to the podcast in the last several weeks, you already know what the headlines are, what our takes are, but. Real quick for the AFC East, uh, the Bills will the offense regress under Ken Dorsey. Uh, Patriots is Evil Bill sabotaging the Pats. Dolphins put up a shut up for Tua. Jets can Zach Wilson take a big step forward. Now, that's going to be interesting because he is hurt for the probably the first four games. So we'll see how that shakes out. But, you know, that was earlier on, earlier take before he uh, got hurt. So NFC East, Eagles can Jalen Hurts take the next step. Cowboys can Dak deliver without Amari. Commanders can Carson save his career. Giants, will the team surprise anybody? AFC North, the Steelers will pick and start, and we know the answer to that now. Will Deshaun play? We know the answer to that now. Will Lamar bounce back? And uh, will the Bengals avoid the Super Bowl hangover? NFC North, Lions, can they rise above irrelevance? Vikings, can they win despite Kirk? Bears, will Justin survive the dysfunction? And Packers, life after Devontae Adams. NFC South, Falcons, how long is the rebuild? Panthers, who will start at QB? Now we know the answer to that. Saints, can James bounce back and deliver? Buccaneers will healthy, air quote, healthy, be their worst enemy. AFC South, Texans, is Davis Mills the guy? Jaguars, can Doug Peterson revive Trevor Lawrence? Titans, will Malik Willis take the starting job? And the Colts, can Matt do what Carson did not? So moving over to the latest headlines in the NFC West. So starting with the Seattle Seahawks. Is Pete Carroll over his head? Now we understand that Pete Carroll is uh had a as you can say a less than friendly relationship with Russell Wilson. He's a professional one. I mean, they could be friends all outside of football, but you know, it could be cordial outside of football, but from a I guess you can say football and team perspective, him and Russell wasn't a Pete Carroll's relationship running his course. Uh, I guess, you know, Russell wasn't f- fond of Pete's ideology and Pete was like, you know, I'm you know, I'm pretty much the man here. I'm in control here. And, uh, you know, kind of, you know, we did make some changes to a certain degree, but we're not going to completely utterly overhaul everything and do everything you say. So ultimately they, they decided to move on for Russell Wilson to move more to Denver and get, uh, draft capital and, and players back. But at this point, 
without Russell Wilson, their starting and franchise quarterback, uh, what is at least Seattle? I mean, in large spaces, it's going to be much of a, a relevant season. And, you know, they will likely be, un, I guess you can say, involuntarily tanking <laughs> in, in a sense where they probably end up with one of the worst records in the league uh, based upon who their quarterback is. You know, they did, they did some nice things in the draft. I, I, I will, to Pete's credit, because he's been real uh, – uh, I guess you can say out there in La La Land when it comes to his draft picks in the, in the last several years. This particular draft, he hit home. Like, he get on a lot of draft picks. I mean, Kenneth Walker, uh, the, the left tackle they got, and a, a few other people that they landed, a couple of corners, things of that nature. They landed some quality guys. I give him credit for maximizing his draft capital. But he don't have no quarterback. I mean, Geno Smith is not the guy. Let's be real. He's not the guy. And neither is Drew Locke. So, you know, they didn't make a play or they couldn't make a play because it's probably too rich for their blood to forget Jeremy Garoppolo. They didn't want Baker Mayfield. So uh, they're going to roll into the season with Geno, and I'm sorry. Much like Jacoby Brissett, and I think they're even worse in a worse situation than, than Jacoby Brissett being in Cleveland, but Geno Smith being the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. So at this point, it's Pete over his head, and I really think he is. And I think he's it's, it's one of those things where he's been – he's got to that age and that mindset that he's old and stubborn – and he's stuck in his ways, and he don't want to change. And it's it's not going to bode well for him to be successful going forward uh, post-Russell Wilson. So um, we could be honestly truly seen in a couple of years, depending on who they land from a quarterback perspective in the draft, who they land and how he, how he progresses, how he hits or doesn't hit. We'll just ultimately decide whether or not the Seahawks need to move on from Pete Carroll as a quarterback, as a, excuse me, as a head coach. I think that's going to be the next couple of years. I think that's what we will be talking about. You know, hopefully on this podcast, we'll be talking about the idea of whether or not Pete Carroll's going to be that coach going forward. And it doesn't look like it unless he somehow, in some way, wakes up in, you know, with an epiphany and say, I need to change my ways. You know, as Michael Jackson said in the song Man in the Mirror, you know, I need to take a look in the mirror and make it, you know, and make a change in my ways. I, unless he does that, unless he has a Man in the Mirror moment, I doubt highly that he will be there much longer, in my opinion. So moving on. To the Cardinals. Will Collar be able to carry the team? So we know that at this moment that John Hopkins is suspended for six games for a violation of PEDs, right? Um, and most people would argue the idea that Kyler is a different quarterback when DeAndre Hopkins is not on the field, right? Um, they did go out and get Hollywood Brown, which you know he's familiar with. Um, they got Zach Ertz still, they still got AJ Green, uh, no Christian Kirk anymore. Um, so have to rely on like uh, Andy Isabella, for instance, um, as being another filling role guy, um, you know, for the first six games. And, you know, going forward after that, when you do get D Hop back, what is the team going to be? How are they, they going to be? How formidable are they going to be from an offensive perspective? You know, and then you, you got to address the elephant in the room with this whole uh, film study business. You know, they put a clause in this contract to say that he needed to study at least four hours or so, I believe, um, on top of his normal film study in house. Is that independently and be documented and tracked with that? You know, they ultimately rescinded because they got so much blowback about it. But the idea that he signed up for that and they were they wanted that in this contract is telling. Um, you know, there's still questions about Cliff Kingsbury. Is he the is he a pro ready and pro level uh, head coach um, from a play calling perspective? So I don't know. I really I really have questions about whether or not Kyle American carried this team. I like him. He's a nice talent. You know, undersized quarterback. Um, cause he's even smaller than Russell Wilson, but I really feel like, you know, he has a really lively arm and really good legs. Um, he he's, he's, has very good improvisational skills, which is a talent within itself, but 
being a true classic drop back and deliver quarterback, I, we still got a lot of questions. And I'm not sure you can carry this team. And it really just it really tells how far the team will go based upon how well he plays. Now, you know, because it's, it's also the, you know, I mean, the million stories that they roll around this franchise and this in this relationship between Kyle and Murray, Queens King brain organization is still widely regarded that you know he has a good uh early part of the season and then he flounders around six seven eight weeks you know weeks six seven or eight and he just not never the same quarterback um you know that, that could have also be in line with the idea that he's not pivoting and doing things differently when film gets on him you know so people kind of get a, a an idea of how to defend him and what gives him trouble um and they kind of go to that more and give him those looks more often and he doesn't know how to adjust because you know the whole idea he wasn't he's not watching film he's not pivoting and doing things differently he's always doing the same thing and people are keying in on that and you know defensive coaches get paid too so they 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 they, they get paid to be out be to outsmart you they get paid to outsmart you so if they can outsmart you because you're not doing anything different then they win so i got a lot of questions about this team I, it's a very uh it's a big question mark going to the team about how successful they could be um i think they because the nfc is so weak i think they, they can be a playoff team but I don't think they get much past the wild card round. If if that, depending on who they match up with, um, I think that depending on who the quarterback is, San Fran, I think they're playing uphill battle with them. Clearly, playing uphill battle with the Rams. So that's already two teams in your division that you play uphill with. I don't, think they, I don't think they can beat the Buccaneers. I don't think they can beat the Packers with that defense. And hell, I honestly, truly, depending on if the Eagles fulfill the prophecy that I think they can feel fulfill that I'm giving them, they can't beat the Eagles either. So I don't know. So like they're low end wild card team at this moment. And unless Kyler can change his ways, man, it's like Pete Carroll, look in the mirror, man, man in the mirror, change your ways and be better down the stretch. This team is likely headed for disappointment. That's just my take. All right, so moving over to the 49ers, Trey or Jimmy? Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo? I said it before in my early segment, I'll say it again. You should have moved on from Jimmy and kept Trey in, in, in uh, line to be the starter. Now they keep saying this is a team. He's going to be the starter. Jimmy's just there to back up and help out. I get it. Jimmy Garoppolo's a great teammate. Everybody says that. I get that. He's a nice guy. He's a guy's guy. Everybody loves him, right? So he shouldn't be a distraction, but to Trey Lance, he is. He is a distraction, you know, because he's always going to be looking over his shoulder saying that I don't play up to the level they want me to play. They're going to yank me. And that's always going to be the back of his mind, and which could ultimately hurt his production and hurt his ability to ascend to the franchise quarterback they want him to be. So I really feel like you're stunning his growth by keeping Jimmy Garoppolo on house. Um, you should just cut the cord and be done with it. You really do. Now, again, you have no choice next year to do it. But I think if you're going to make him the starter now, you should just go ahead and do it now. You know, much like the whole idea of Kenny Pickett not being the quarterback right now, we should be. Just got to pull the ripcord and just live with it, man. Good, bad, or the different. Now, I understand that you have a lot on the line. And you could be a, a deep run playoff team, but... Got a single swim with a guy you spent three first round picks for. You got to do it. You got to do it. Because if you weren't, if you really weren't sure about Trey Lance, you should have got Justin Fields. <laughs> you know, that's just my hot take. But yet again, you know, you just got to, you got to let Trey be Trey and let him be good, bad, or ugly, however he is. And, you know, if, if Kyle Shanahan is the quarterback whisperer that we think he is, if he has problems, you got to fix them. That's your job. And your job could depend on it. So, Let's see how things shake out, but I think there's a bad move to keep Jimmy in the house. So now the Rams, the, the Super Bowl champions, and the headline is obviously, can they repeat? 
Uh, I think they can. Um, but I really feel like the two things that we can't measure are at play here. Um, changing in the O-line, um, how that's going to mesh. Because, you know, and, and I say that because, you know, they did have an injury. They did lose a bit worth their retirement. And they did lose a, a guard to season injury. So that's two two guys that they're missing. But they always have the uncanny ability. The uncanny ability to manipulate the cap and the uncanny ability to bring in talent that nobody knows about and has a huge upside and plays well in a scheme and he plays like a Pro Bowl level player and nobody knows who this guy is. They just find these guys. I don't know where they find them, but they just find them. And that's where it lands. So if they can plug those holes in the O-line and be formidable up front, they can be savvy in the run game and protect Stafford, I think they got a great chance of repeating. But that's that's the thing. And the other uh, underlying thing that you can't quantify is the fact that they are the champs and most champs get comfortable. You know, most teams, which, which is so hard, why it's so hard to repeat is because most teams get comfortable. Hey, I got a ring. We can turn it on. We feel like it. We know what it takes to win. You know, we can just, we're just cruising to the playoffs. As long as we make it, we'll be fine. And injuries and things fall apart. You don't gel and you don't. Uh, build up your uh, chemistry like you should, and all of a sudden you lose in a wild card round, and you wondering why. So, if they don't, they don't listen to and and play on their own hubris of being champs, and they can find ways to patch up their own line. They got a great shot at repeating, but those things have to fall in line for them to do it, in my opinion. So we'll see. But that's my takes on the Rams that they can repeat. They have the to me they have the best odds and best chance to repeat. Um, since, you know, the Patriots did it way back in the early 2000s. Um, but yet again, because they got the roster to do it. It's just a question of whether those uh, intangibles will rear their ugly, ugly head or not. Rear their ugly head or not. So we'll see. But that's my take on the Rams. Can they repeat? All righty. So let's move on to the big dogs. The class in the toughest division of the whole entire NFL in the AFC West. It's my division, my team's in this division. So... Yes, we're going to break it down. We're going to break it down to where it will forever and ultimately be broke. So, starting with the team that is the winner of the division uh, in the past few years, the Chiefs. Uh, their headline for me is, what is life going to be like at the Tyreek? Now, to Andy Reid's credit, he's always been an offensive genius. He's always figured out ways to pivot off of different guys and things and make it work, right? And to be quite honest with you, I think that the reason why he's been a much more of a winner and won a Super Bowl in Kansas City is he's had way more talent than he had in Philly. I think that, you know, he has uh, he's had Tyreek, Kelsey, you know, um, Sammy Watkins, and a few other guys that have been, um, you know, at that, at that high level of a caliber player at the time uh, where and then he landed Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes kind of fell in his lap uh, in a sense uh, of being a perennial uh all pro quarterback. So, you know, with him being a very talented play caller and a very talented play designer with him and the enemy working in lockstep to run this offense, I really feel like it won't be as bad as people think, but it will be an adjustment period. I really feel like this, this is my honest take. It will be, it will be, it won't be as bad as people think because Tyreek was a nuclear weapon for this team, especially with Patrick Mahomes being your quarterback. He was a nuclear weapon and people can play you differently now because Tyreek's not on the field. And so you will, you will have to pivot, but if I had to bet money on anybody pivoting and pivoting properly, it will be Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. I think they will pivot. 
But what I think we will see, you won't see as many splash plays and many dynamic throws, and and Mahomes' numbers will likely be down, in my opinion, because they will run different offense. They will run more methodical offense and more check down and and eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve play drives to score versus you know four to five plays and they're in the end zone. They're putting pressure on you because they can score in at will and they're scoring at a high clip. So that being said, you know it's going to be different, and this is the Patrick Mahomes year to prove that he doesn't need a Tyreek Hill to uh, be a dominant quarterback. And if he can prove that, then he he is who he is as advertised. But if he struggles, and we know that Tyreek Hill was a lot of a mask of a lot of his uh, inadequacies. So we'll see how things shake out there. But I feel like from a Andy Reid perspective, then offense will be fine. And they'll just got to retool and retweak things to uh, fit better what they have on their roster currently as a, from a receiver perspective. And maybe they run a the ball a little more this year. They got hot clouds that will air back healthy. They got Isaac Pacheco and, Jer- and Jerry McKinnon in house. They could honestly truly, uh, you know, do some more of running, you know, running the football. You know, Andy's never been a big runner, but you know, they kind of do things to keep people guessing. You know, Andy's always doing stuff different that people aren't ready for. So, you know, to all the credit in the world to him being uh, current and always current. And Andy will definitely, uh, you know, pull somebody's hat that people haven't seen and be like, well, shit, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, so that's that's where it always lands with Andy, man. I expect nothing different. So they will still they will still be formidable. There's a different level. We're just going to see them different from it. That's that's my take. All right. So my team, the Chargers, and the headline for them is there is their new culture, you know, because uh, we've been long saying as fans that we need somebody to change the culture in 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 in, in the organization, in the, in the room in the front office and on the field, we need to build a brand new culture because the culture we were living on for the past, you know, 40 years of my life for sure is, hasn't been a winning one. You know, it's had some flashes, but it hasn't been a perennial winning, winning one. And we've always been more of the charges defeating themselves and getting their own way than teams just flat out beating us. Right. So, you know, and I think it started from the top bottom. I think Tom Telesco is is a culture setter and a culture changer from a GM. I think that uh, Brandon Sterling is a culture changing person as a head coach. And I think the personnel they've been bringing in sh- sh- slowly but surely has lent to the idea that they're bringing in, trying to bring in guys that are tough, gritty grinders and guys that are truly want to be, uh, you know, the the dogs in the neighborhood that people running their houses and scared of, you know, those ones that are just off the leash and you just like, okay, I ain't going out there cause I don't want to get chased. You know, I think that they really are going out and building guys like that. And it starts with Derwin James, them Derwin James landing in that lap along with Joey Bosa, you know, where they had a high pick to get Bosa, but, the, but getting, uh, getting Derwin James, Latin falling in their lap, just Herbert falling in their lap, uh, Kenneth Murray falling in their lap, um, you know, those guys and just the, just the over, just the first round, first and second round, Rashawn Slater falling in their lap. You know, those guys, I saw they Samuel falling in their lap in the second round. I think that those guys falling into their lap and being able to be, uh, draft picks and day one chargers is, is a, is a, is a jumping off point that you have in order for them to be a new, uh, brand new culture in a sense. And then that, and, and that of a winning one, um, you know, and I think that them, you know, Tom Telesco being the engineer of that is is the first is the first part of that, bringing in the right talent, right? Then you bring in Brandon Staley, who's a completely totally modern and contemporary coach, right? 
um, bringing in the culture and understanding that the temperature in the room is realizing that things need to change and change quickly and has a completely utterly different mindset than all the coaches we've had in the past 10 years, 20, maybe. Um, so I would say that that's definitely a step in the right direction. And he's also between him and Justin Herbert, um, attracting, you know, talent into the uh, organization that's, you know, from a free agency and trade perspective, that's allowed for them to bring in guys that are built of the same ilk and being those, you know, rabid dogs in the neighborhood, you know? So, you know, you bring in a Khalil Mack and getting JC Jackson, you know, of course, Darren James fostered that move and Brandon Steady bringing in Khalil Mack from the Bears because he had him in, in Chicago. Um, you know, bringing in Bryce Callahan, who he's familiar with, great slot corner, you know, just, just to name a few. Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, bringing, you know, hard-nosed, run-stopping, you know, guys. Um, you know, bringing on Nazir Alley and drafting J.C. Woods and drafting Jasir Taylor. You know, getting Isaiah Spiller to fit backfill on, with uh, uh, Austin Ackler. I think that they're really, truly, and these guys really absorbing the culture that, that that these guys are trying to set. It will ultimately bode well for this team, and it could be a new day. It could be a new day. You know, we got to get on the field and play the games for sure. But I really think this team, you know, for me being a fan, feels different to me. And that's my honest, that's my honest take. It really feels different to me. Now, will they prove to be different on the field? I really believe they can and they will. But again, you got to play the games. You got to play the games, you know, because we did have some 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 old charger woes to happen with the special teams and things of that nature and tackling woes in the preseason. You know, it was all the reserves and some guys that didn't even make the roster. But yet again, it still can raise ugly head. So we got to get over it. If we, if, we, if we could get over it and stay over it, then it's a new day. It's a new day. And, and I think the West should be on notice if this team can really turn the corner and build that new culture and let it submit itself as being the mantra going forward. So we'll see how it lands, man. But I really feel like I really feel like there's something different about this team that I've never seen as a Chargers fan all my life. So we'll see how things break, man. But I really like our chances. So moving over to the Broncos, uh, can Russell be the difference? Um, you know, this team has been widely uh, speculated as being a quarterback away from being relevant and being dominant and being a playoff caliber team, right? So they got the quarterback now. He's there. Yeah, he's under contract for this year and he got an extension this past week. So he's going to be the quarterback in, in in Broncos country for a good while. Um, you know, he has a great uh, set of running backs. He's a solid O-line. He has uh, solid weapons at tight end. He has great receivers. So he has all the things that he didn't have in Seattle he guys he has in in Denver in short order like he walked into he walked out of a a a, a bodega apartment and walked into a mansion <laughs> you know just just be real about it so you know it's right there for the picking right there for the picking the only thing that's kind of uh wait and see is the new is the new office of uh coach they have in Nathaniel Hackett what he's gonna be like as a play caller um because he's gonna be the you know ultimate play caller from this for this team and it's gonna be his real first time doing it because when he was in uh Green Bay he didn't call plays uh Sean uh Matt LaFleur did so um you know they all from the McVeigh uh tree so I want to say that you know it could it just just depends on how well he calls plays you know from a uh, from a first time head coach perspective and how well his offense does but they got the tools to do it um only thing I get questions about is their interior D line. Um, their their uh their linebacker play from the interior, um how well Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory will hold up against the run on the edges, um because they're pass rushers by trade, 
Um, so how well it would, you know, fill, fulfill those roles because Bradley Chubb has been off injured and hadn't really hit his stride yet, and he's playing for his contract this year. So, you know, I would say the defense is more of a, I guess you can say, um, a question mark than offense, you know. So if Hackett can call plays, right, and the defense can be at least as half or, or three or two-thirds as good as they were last year, this is a solid team, man. It's a playoff team for sure because I think all Russell needed was – um, the right weapons and the right culture around him, right players around him to be ultimately successful because he was making, you know, water out of into wine, you know, no, no, you know, no, no, no shots at the 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 Lord above and 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 his son, but you know, it was you know that that particular, you know, he was really taking, you know, dirt and making it a meal, you know, and since a lot of times in Seattle, so he has an embarrassment of riches now in Denver, but I would like to believe that um, you know, assuming those things break right, the defense can hold up. And the offense it can run fluid with with Hackett's play calling. They will definitely be a formidable team, and they will challenge the Chargers and the Chiefs in this division. So last is the Raiders. And I think the biggest and most glaring issue for me is that can they overcome their O line issues? You now, as I alluded to earlier on, they let Alice Leatherwood go, um, and they got a patchwork of of uh, of O linemen uh, in on the starting lineup. But Cody Miller is the only name, noteworthy name that's the left tackle. But you got you got question marks at every other position. They drafted Dylan Parham, but he's not starting, which I kind of question. I think they should throw him out there. He's solid interior D lineman, excuse me, O lineman, but he's not starting. And a bunch of guys, journeyman guys, you know, are starting from each other position. And you know, people, especially Raider fans, aren't addressing or accepting the idea that their O line is a, is a, is rough, man. It's, it's a rough way to go, and that's gonna that's not gonna bode well for Derek Carr in this division, especially with all this pass rush. I mean, the Chiefs got a pass rush with Carlothis and Jones now. Charters got one with Mac and Bosa, the, the Chubb and, and and Gregory in Denver. You don't want to have a bunch of O line issues with that that set of guys alone. And then on top of it all, off anybody else you play in the NFC West and other teams in the AFC with decent pass rush, you're gonna have a lot of issues. And I'm sorry. And I know from personal experience, you know Derek Carr isn't you know Justin Herbert in a sense where he can make um, make matters better for himself or, or still be. Uh, still put up numbers without a decent O line, so it's gonna be a tr- it's gonna be a rough road for Derek Carr if they can't block for him. You know, I mean, again, it, it could be better than we think, but on paper, it it looks rough. It looks rough. So we'll we'll see how things shake out. But I think the the ultimate demise of this team and they're not fulfilling their potential with getting Devontae Adams, having a healthy Darren Waller and Hunter Riffro, and things like that. Nature, Josh Jacobs and 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 Zemir White in the backfield. I think that's going to ultimately be derailed and from Austin's perspective is their is their ability not to be able to move the ball because they can't block up front in the run game and they can't pass block for for, for Derek Carr. So if those things happen, like I think they may, it's going to be a long season for the Raiders. I mean, they, they got to fix it. They really got to fix it. And they got to fix it fast, you know, because that's really going to be their Achilles heel. And, um, and again, the defense is, is, is middle of the road, in my opinion. The interior D line is weak. I think the pass rush is good. Um, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, but um, you know they always want to criticize the Chargers for having injuries with Khalil Mack, which hadn't been hurt as much as people think. Either Joey Bosa, Joey Bosa had one injury his whole career, and they think he's injury prone. So yet again, you want to criticize them for having been injury prone. Chandler Jones is highly injury prone. You know, Max Crosby only solid one you got on your team. So yet again, I think that the that with them having not having a lot of depth and being you know middle of the road defensively. Cornerback plays lacking, safety plays kind of questionable. I would say that you know they're they're looking at a rough, rough go. 
um, this season. I think that my prediction, they finished fourth in the division. I really do. Um, based upon the O-line play and their interior D-line play. But, you know, again, that's why you play the games. And we're going to find out week one with the Chargers. So, we gonna, week one in, in so far, we're going to see what's really good. We'll see what's really good. So, yeah, those are my headlines for, for the season, man. So, hopefully things uh, break right now, and I'm right on my takes, and I think I'm pretty spot on with most of the stuff. So, we'll see how things break out, man. But um, we'll, we'll get into uh, uh, what things, you know, how things go on throughout the season. But, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Football is here. I can't wait for the night to see the Bills and the Rams get it on. So, that's going to wrap up NFL headlines, man. Stay tuned for the full quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. We are back with a fourth quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Man, episode 96 is in the books, man. I want to thank everybody that's been listening to us out this entire this episode. Hope you like the content. Like, comment, subscribe as always, man. Uh, check out our previous videos with uh, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt. Episode 76, a really good episode with our special guest, Mike Duff. Uh, Wild West Podcast replay is on live on my channel as well. Check that out. Had a very, uh, I guess you can say spirited conversation with the Raiders fan on there about the week that is going to be with the Raiders and Chargers playing this week. Very good episode in that regard. Uh, you know, he got a little upset with me. Um, I maintain my cool because I'm not worried. The Raiders got a lot of problems and we don't. So we will see how that shakes out. But yet again, I, I definitely check that out. Um, replay on that and as well. Like, comment, subscribe on this video as well. Get, in this, get us to the deep inside the algorithm. Let everybody know we out here and keep building the channel as, we, as we've been doing real big since uh, about April, man. We went on a real big time run. Subscribers have gone through the roof and so have the views. So I appreciate everybody that's been liking these videos, sharing these videos, and viewing these videos. Let everybody know we're doing big things out here for the sports world. So, in the fourth quarter closeout, this is the last week that we will only we will finally be doing only Big Dummy of the Week. Um, so, uh, we're going to give out a big dummy of the week, and next week we'll be bringing back the awards for uh, Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown the Fit of the Week. So I'm happy about that. Finally getting real football on tonight, so we're going to have our awards to give out next week. So with that being said, uh, our, our big dummy is kind of twofold here. <laughs> it's kind of twofold here. Uh, I want to give it to uh, the 49ers for squandering this issue with Jimmy G. Um, you know, honestly, and truly giving, uh, not giving Trey Lance the confidence that he needs to be the starting quarterback, always looking over shoulder. That's going to be a problem for you. I'm telling you, that's problem one. Uh, problem two is the Steelers, uh, not picking Kenny Pickett to be a starter as well. I think that's a mistake. I think you should have went with the rookie, let him, let him get out there and, and grow and, and just be trial by fire and learn the pro game on the fly. He's been a four year starter at Pitt. So I think he's built to, to, to last, man. I think he's going to be, he will be fine. I think you should have went with him, and he would have been a very, much better, uh, I guess you can say, asset and and playmaker for your offense with those weapons than than Mitch Trubisky would ever be. So that was a mistake. Two and three, the Browns. Browns being the Browns, you basically punt on the season, and you're squandering this whole roster that's Super Bowl ready and caliber. If you had a legit quarterback, you should have made a move for Jimmy G while you had a chance. You could have given up something, you know, light. From like a fifth round pick. I understand that you don't got a whole lot of high round picks because you traded with Deshaun. So you probably coveting and holding, you know, those mid round picks, you know, like a like a uh, you're protecting the baby. But 
you could have made a move for maybe a pick, you know, next year's draft, not this year coming, but the next year draft for like a fifth or sixth round pick and made that move and picked up that $26 million and had a formidable quarterback in house. But you didn't make that move. You're punting on the season, basically. I really feel like y'all going to finish fourth in the division and you're wasting a good roster. Because all people going to do is, is lock up Amari Cooper from a, with a bracket, load eight in the box, stop Nick Chubb, and make Jacoby set beat me. And nine times out of ten, if it's on my good team, he's not going to be able to do it. So I'm sorry to tell you, Browns fans, yet again, it's another rough season for you, but you might be used to it at this point. So to the Cleveland Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the 49ers, Front office, you get the big dummy of the week award. You big dummy. So that's gonna wrap it up, man. I appreciate everybody who's been listening to us each and every week, man. Uh, new day and time is Thursday, 10 a.m. So check us out on all popular platforms you get your podcast from. And we'll be back next week with episode 97, man. So in the meantime, in between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Until next week, step up and lock it down. <laughs>